and we are live. Good morning, everybody. I said good afternoon last time, but it was in the morning, so that's all right. And welcome to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. I am pleasured to have Sandre Breck on the show. Sandre, how are you doing this morning or this afternoon in Norway? Yeah, thanks. I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, and I call you Sandre Breck with my American accent, but if I'm, <laughs> if I'm correct, it's Sandra Breck. Brecky, or is it? How's it pronounced? Yeah, it's qu- quite close, yeah. I still haven't figured anyone to like actually properly manage yeah. it, but it's uh, Sandre Brecke. Sandre Which, yeah, Brecke? Yeah, probably going to struggle with. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's all right. We'll, we'll call you Sandre for the rest of the episode. Yeah, because, that's fine. I mean, we're close friends and mortal enemies. Um, and I've been calling <laughs> you that um, since I've met you. But um, yeah, so why don't, you, why don't you give a little background about who you are and uh, how we met, I guess. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is uh, Sondre. I am uh, 23 and I'm from uh, just outside Oslo in Norway. So uh, I got this beautiful photo of Norway in the background for everyone to, to see as well. That's great. Uh, so yeah, I met uh, Ethan when I was on exchange in Sydney. So uh, we actually lived together at a really nice place there called the Colombo House. Oh yeah. So that was uh, really fun. Um, yeah, we became friends there and I've been keeping in touch ever since i guess and um yeah just uh, graduated now so uh, i've been doing a um, master's degree in uh, economics and computer science and uh, i'm about to start a uh, full-time job now in august so it's about yeah. it i guess yeah i hear you Intro. that's very cool that's not about it though because sandre is a, <laughs> he's a good friend of mine but he's also my mortal enemy and an absolute uh betrayer of my trust <laughs> as he, as as we uh, as we as he said, we did meet in Colombo House, which is uh, it's essentially, it was like an international. I don't know really what it was. It's like there were first year students from Australia, and there were exchange students. So we all met there. Sandra and I became friends. We had a nice group of friends of people who were probably watching this, and um, yeah. So Sandra and I are pretty close, and I uh, I thought he was my brother, and that he would never uh, never betray me. But we had this this event going on, so it, it was called like O Week or whatever in Australia, where it's like freshman orientation and stuff. We're all like doing fun activities and things. One of the things we did was this Assassins Week. Of course, you know I have to start the podcast with this story. That's people <laughs> want to have the background of, of our, our our classic argumentative relationship we have, but um. Yeah, so as people know, I'm very competitive. So this Assassin's Week, everyone gets assigned a person that they need to like kill. And then like the way you kill people is with like weapons. So it's like in the dorm, if you, when you're in the dorm, that's like the battleground. And then you could like kill people with like meagerang noodles or like stab them with a banana. And you know, it, 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 it's like it starts on Monday, it ends on Friday. If you make it to Friday without dying, you win. When you kill someone, you get a new person to hunt. And it was like craziness. And um, yeah, I know it was going really well. I think it was like Thursday evening or something. I was getting towards like the finals and you know, all my friends were dead. I was with like Harry and Sandre and a bunch of people like hanging out in the common area. I'm like, Oh, I'm not afraid of getting killed. I'll just hang out keep my eyes open. Sandre decides to go behind a corner as we're all playing a card (laughs) game. And then he comes back. He's like, Hey, Ethan. And then he like, but right from behind him, my assassin comes out of nowhere and like, throws a thing of noodles at me and misses and i'm like oh 
like I start like running away. Sandre picks up the noodles, hands it back to the girl, and she murders me. And to this day, I still haven't forgiven him for that. So that's why Sandre is my devastating enemy. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's a uh, a true snake, a uh, a betrayer. But I think um I'm just just kidding, guys. But I I, I do think uh, we all have a really good conversation about the differences between Norway and the U.S. because. I mean, we both enjoy talking about the markets and, econ- and the economy. We're both, this, as you said, we're the, we're the same age. We had some really awesome travels together and just really great experiences. So I think this will be a good conversation. So, yeah, I guess to start off, do you kind of just want to talk about your, your education and your background, kind of starting from a young age and how you got to be studying economics in, in, in uh, Trondheim? Yeah, sure. So um, what, what I'd like to start pointing out uh, is I know we have a free educational system, which means mm. that uh, most people go to public schools because that's mainly what you have in Norway because they are free and um, yeah, everyone use them. Uh, so you usually start when you're around five or six years and then you start with what we call a primary school, uh, which basically is seven years where the first few years you basically play around, uh, learn how to count how to yeah the alphabet all that kind of stuff and then gradually you start learning more maths and norwegian obviously and also english and um so yeah the first seven years are pretty much um very equal everyone has the same courses uh you have a lot of play you do a lot of sports in gymnastics and stuff and usually the classes are pretty small because Norway is quite a large country where we have a not so big population. So typically like my classes, the first seven years were around 20, 22 people, which is very small compared to other countries, but that's actually the same. Quite normal. I think that's the same actually as, as me usually in in the younger ages, about 20 to 30 anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but that's kind of like the, the whole year. So you don't really oh, okay, have okay, a lot okay, of classes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the, you gradually, you don't have any grades and any kind of stuff that in, in primary school. You don't so have you just grades. just get like feedback. No, you don't have grades at all in primary school. So basically you just get feedback on like tests and stuff. And mm-hmm. then you pick what we call lower secondary school, which go to a new place. What age? And typically here, well, this must be around 12, I think. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, seven years later. And what they do then is they usually merge, like, multiple primary schools into different classes. So here, typically, we'd have, like, probably 150 in one year and then multiple, um, multiple classes or, like, multiple, yeah. Which is this outside groups. of Oslo where you're, do, where you're doing your, your lower level education? Yeah. 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 So this is very close. Usually what's the uh, city called? You might have to travel. Uh, so it's just outside Tensburg, which okay. you might recognize from the Avengers movie, which is oh. where Thor, uh, <laughs> when you ask artists, but nice. yeah, we're going to have fun with uh, the pronunciation of the cities in this. In this <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. Tensburg, that's where it yeah. is. Um, and then usually, you have to travel a bit, but they're still uh, pretty close, uh, the schools, the lower secondary schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, lower secondary schools, you, you start getting grades um, and you start taking multiple courses. You also start doing a 
another foreign language where you typically you choose between either French, Spanish, or German, which are the most common, yeah. So I did French, uh, which was really interesting. And you also obviously have, have English all the way up till I think when you're 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and as you guys can tell, his, his and, English is fantastic. And it always has been <laughs> since I've known him. I've never, I've never heard you struggle with English under any circumstances. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I've um, also never heard definitely. you speak French. No, I don't think that's a good <laughs> idea. Not, not, not that good anymore. So yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, you start getting grades um, and you start doing other different courses. And then after you graduate from like 10th grade, which is what we call it, you go to uh, something called upper secondary school, which is voluntarily, but to be fair, most like companies require it for in order to, to work. So upper secondary, um, is this what, like 17 years old? Yeah, so you start, I think, when you're 15, 16, and you graduate when you're like 18, 19. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then, once again, you can merge like multiple lower secondary schools, gets merged into to one school. So, this is where I met Hans, which is our other good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Hans the Hammer. Yeah, so, so we met there. And here you start doing like specialist courses. You start picking if you want to do physics or if you want to do maths or economics and stuff. Did you feel like um, you had that the education system had gave you a good feel for what you would be interested in, in doing at that point when you were starting to pick courses? Did you have a feel for what you wanted to do? Yeah, I definitely feel like at that point, up until then, it was basically just like you had to do these courses. Like this is what we do. This is what mm-hmm. everyone does. Um, yeah. But at that point, you start picking what you think you would be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. And I definitely think I got a good understanding of what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do yeah. at that point. So I, I started doing uh, information technology or like computer science at that point uh, and also economics. And I realized that I really thought that was, that was something I would be interested in um, as well as maths and, and physics. And cool. um, yeah, at, th- at that point you also meet a lot of, different people who want to do the same thing as you. That's good. Which is very interesting. So then obviously you start learning from them and you teach them kind of like you, you cooperate a, bit, a lot more than. So, uh, yeah. And that um, includes Hans, huh? He was in that same discipline yeah. with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, we went to do the same classes and also part of the same group kind of like, and sounds, so, yeah, uh, and you're all merged together into one school now. Makes sense. Yeah. So obviously, as I mentioned, all of this is, is free. So um, most people go to, to the public schools. We do have a couple of private schools like mm-hmm. IB. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. We, I don't think so. I think it's called International Baccalaureate or something, which is okay. a European standards schools where all the lessons are in English. But I don't really have a lot of friends who go there. Like it's, yeah. it's not that common, but the public schools are definitely the more common yeah and then after after that you use your grades and your points uh, after you take the exams and stuff to get into universities or higher educations if you want to yeah. do that which is also free yes definitely yeah. so <laughs> it's really really convenient in that kind of way so also if you want to study abroad um they do provide you with 
big student loans that you can cover um, the fees you have to pay abroad. Mm-hmm. And you also get some of that, usually around 40% paid back. Like you, you don't have to pay back the 40% if you pass a grade outside. So you're talking about when you study abroad? Alone. Yeah. Or if you study in Norway, you can also get student loans to help with financing where you want to live and food and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So, yeah. so did you do your, your undergrad at, or so your not masters at Trondheim as well? Yeah. So was it a five-year masters? Yeah. So most masters in, in Trondheim are five years where you start and you don't get a bachelor's degree after three years. You just get a master's after five years. Gotcha. It's what you call a integrated master's. So you kind of, you don't really do like undergrads, postgrad. It's just like one, one study. Yeah. How did you, um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, how did you pick, how did you pick Trondheim out of, based on your grades and what you wanted to do? Was was Trondheim really good for economics? Is that why you wanted to go there? Or are there, how many colleges are there even in Norway or universities? Well, I'm not quite sure how many they are, but they're not like loads. There's definitely one in uh, Oslo, one in Tromsø, which is in Northern Norway, um, Trondheim, and then I think there are a couple more. Um, But what I was looking like mostly for was I was really interested in computer science and kind of like engineering as well as economics. And it was mostly Trondheim, which are like really good at those subjects. Yeah. So Trondheim are really known for their engineering uh, school, which is where I went. Okay. Uh, which also has some I've been economics. There. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also they're really good at computer science. So yeah, for me, it wasn't really any choice. I, I just knew straight away Trondheim was, was the university I wanted to go to. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so Norway only has like 5.3 million people. As you can tell, it's a small country. It's very big in, in land mass, though, which is cool. You guys have all the yeah. fjords in the north. Trondheim is in the north. I went to visit Hans and Sandre about a year and a half ago now or something. Lots of snow and lots of Teslas driving around, which we'll, we'll get yeah, into. Definitely. We'll get into shortly. But um, yeah, so you just finished, right? You just finished in June, was it? Yeah, I did. We delivered our master thesis early June. So yeah, yeah that's good. So, so Sandra and I both studied for a year in Australia. How do you think that the Australian education system compared to the Norwegian one? Obviously, both of them have some kind of like government subsidies that, that people study for free or take out low interest loans. Um, yeah. Say a little bit yeah. about that. I definitely think it is a quite a significant difference um, because in Norway, you are mostly kind of like, what I say, left for your own while you are studying until up to like SAMS because you can go to lectures. It's not a mandatory to go to lectures. Um, you don't have any like typical quizzes or presentations during the semester. You mostly have some exercises that you have to maybe deliver uh, 70% of them. And uh, they are not marked. They usually don't count towards your your grade for that year. Mm -hmm. So usually you do whatever you want up until the exam, which then counts 100% of the grade you get in that course. Didn't I show up like when you guys had some crazy presentation that you you were doing? Like I showed up. Yeah, that was actually... Yeah, one of few presentations we had. So right, and that would be like uh, a lot of your grade, huh? 
Uh, it, I think it was twenty percent. Yeah. Yeah. So usually, the exams are like counts the absolute most. Um, so, how did you decide that you wanted to go to Australia, and what was your experience like when you studied abroad in Sydney? Besides yeah. meeting me, of course, which I know is a part. No, I wanted to go uh, somewhere where they spoke English, obviously, because I wanted to improve my English even further. And I cool. really didn't want to go to somewhere where I couldn't speak the language well enough. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to go to something completely new, something I haven't experienced before. Uh, nice not now. just like, yeah, nearby. I wanted to do like really go full out, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And um it was pretty much, yeah, either US or uh, Australia at that point then. Um, I decided oh. that I've been to the US. I've already, like, it's not that far away, if you know what I mean. Like, there's only yeah. eight hours to, to New York from Oslo. Mm-hmm. So I decided that Australia was definitely the place to go. Um, and even though my parents were particularly happy, me being so far away. Yeah. But um, that's not important. Yeah. <laughs> So it was either to go to Queens, um, Queensland or uh-huh. Brisbane, uh, Queensland University of Technology, or uh, Sydney. And UNSW. I had actually had planned to do, go to go to Brisbane, but I then realized that there weren't a lot of beaches there, Uh-oh. and uh, that was a uh, <laughs> quite a big uh, bumper for me. So I picked uh, Sydney, and yeah, couldn't be more happy about it. But. Yeah. And history, history was made. And um, you, you talked about like differences in uh, educational system in the universities. And I definitely felt the difference when I went to, to Sydney because country there, it was a lot more like quizzes and yeah. a lot more presentations and participation and mandatory lectures and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So that was quite different to what I was used to because Usually in Norway, you you read some throughout the, the semester, but then like right before exams, you just lock yourself in and just read 24-7 for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. In Australia, it was more like a a marathon, if you know what I mean. It's, it wasn't really a sprint at the end. I got you. How, yeah. how important do you think it was uh, spending time outside your home country while you were like learning? How, how do you think it's affected the way you see the world and think about things now that you're about to enter? Who, who are you and then who are you working for in the fall? Because I know you have a pretty good job set up. Yeah, so I'm going to start working for Capra Consulting, which is a uh, IT consulting uh, firm. So I'm going to be an advisor there, uh, which is basically like a technical project manager, kind of like. Um, but yeah, uh, I definitely my dad felt just that. texted me and said, parents are important. He's obviously listening. to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, I definitely felt that, uh, my, my year abroad was, was important to personal growth. You learned a lot. You learned to be more like, or you experienced new cultures. It's important. Um, yeah. I learned a lot from, from you guys, from speaking to you guys. Yeah, for uh, me, definitely a lot of language barriers, for sure. Right, I, I, I'm telling you, man, I never had, I never saw any sort of language barrier with you or Thomas or Clem. You guys all had really good English, and I have, uh, yeah, no other language. So that was the only option. <laughs> no, I definitely feel like also kind of like humor and that kind of stuff is quite yeah. different as well. Um, well, 
Well, yeah, like I said, our, our, uh, our dorm was very unique in the sense that it would have first year Australian students, but it also had third year um, exchange people. So we had friends from France, England, Norway, uh, Belgium, Zimbabwe, Australia, uh, and then, you know, Tamworth. <laughs> and country in Australia. States. <laughs> United States. Oh, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard of that place as well. Yeah. So it was, we had this awesome environment. We were all young and looking to have fun but we all had these different cultures that we would all bring to the table. Quite literally, we would sit at like a family table and, and chat. And so that was cool. Yeah. What, um, yeah. So back to, uh, to travel and, and how it's uh, shaped your thoughts. So you, you and I both spent a lot of time traveling. You, you even, you got to see more of Australia than I do. I think, did you go to um, what's it called? The, the Island underneath with the little. Oh yeah. Tasmania. Yeah, did you go there as well? Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. Yeah. So you went so all we, over. What did you learn now that now that it's, it's been a couple of years now? We 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 got there in July of seventeen. We left in July of eighteen, basically. So it's been two years now, which is crazy. How how do you think it's affected the way you see the world and what you want to do with your future now that you've kind of seen this whole other side of the planet? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting question because uh, I think that. Um, Australia is quite different to, to Norway because in Norway, you're more no like, kidding. if you go in the public, you're more like, you don't really talk to any other people. Okay. Kind of like if you go in a bus, you usually take two seats for yourself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. While in Australia, it's more like, um, good day, mate, how's it going? You know, just chatting yeah, with, yeah. with random people all over the place. Yeah, I did well there. Um, yeah, <laughs> which, which definitely is, is quite strange for a Norwegian. But yeah. uh, it definitely made me more like, I say, aware of of other cultures and like other norms. Like you learn a lot from from watching movies and reading books, but it's, it's something completely different. To actually, experience it. And do you think it gave you like it. a a skill set that other Norwegians will never have because you're seeing this more social culture? Have you brought this into your work at home and your social life? Yeah, I think it definitely changed me to like being more like open to, to like chatting to to what what we call random people around the streets and and being more like open for sure. And um, yeah, also yeah, learning a lot about um, how other countries like um, how their healthcare system is, how their educational system is, kind of like knowledge you you might need one day. Um, or like if you work in a big firm that wants to to start um, producing something or delivering any goods to any other countries, you, you have like contacts where you can talk with and kind of get like what we call inside info to those yeah. markets as well. So yeah. That's cool. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is because both of us, obviously, I like talking about how we can make the world a better place. And I'm trying to do that in the United States. Sandra, obviously, we have a little funny dynamic where I like give him a lot of shit for, uh, for betraying me in the beginning of the year. But we're very close. But we're also both very patriotic in the sense that we both love our countries. We love the way things are. I think we can make recommendations for changes but people always can so i really wanted to use this episode to kind of talk really highlight how norway is different and how maybe we can make some adjustments in the u.s to improve our society keeping in mind we're talking about he had a class of 20 people i made a mistake thinking oh i had a class of 20 people but in reality we had like 
six classes of 20 people. Yeah. We had one class of just 20 people. Norway is 5.3 million. The U.S. is 365 or 340 million. So it's very different, but it doesn't mean that the way that they've organized their system can't give us hints on how we can improve, especially on a state level. Like, I think, I don't know how many people live in Colorado, but state by state, you can make um, differences. So do you want, let's just kind of wrap up the, the education s- section here and just kind of talk about you, what, you, what you learned in university and how you're using your degree to better your career, essentially. Yeah, I guess I haven't like used my degree that much yet. As I well, you have a lot of finished, knowledge. We and you love talking yeah. about markets and stuff. We can go on for a while, but uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, I think mostly what you learn in in Norwegian universities is theory and like background info you would need to to use it. Um, so I mostly learned theory behind kind of like programming uh, behind how the markets work um, economics that kind of stuff but we didn't really get a lot of practice with it which I think in different countries you get more like hands-on experience from definitely from what I've learned but you're talking about Australia or elsewhere yeah Australia and United States maybe perhaps as well um but definitely think that the theory is um, really important in order to, to build a strong foundation um, going into your working life. Um, definitely think that I, I will use a lot of the theory, but also probably a lot of the theory I've learned won't be useful as well. Um, did you study Keynes think, and Friedman in your economics class? Uh, we did a bit, yeah. Yeah. A bit. Mm. Okay. But I think the most important thing what we learned is like the ability to to learn things quickly. Like we have big yeah. curriculums, so you need to yeah. like figure out what's the most important thing. I think that's definitely what I'll use the most. Um, Your ability to learn. Yeah, yeah, and the ability Just to cooperate as well. I think because we had a lot of group projects. I mean, those are two huge skill sets that you can really never get enough of your ability to work well with others and your ability to take in information. There's like, it's impossible to learn everything in five years. And to be frank, it's impossible to get along with everyone. So the better you are at both, yeah. the more successful you're going to be. So that's cool. So you're starting work here in, uh, is it September? August. In August. Late so August. He's, so he's, he's a, he's a young budding flower like myself. We're just getting our career started here. All right, so let, let's yeah. get into more like macro stuff here. So can you explain a little bit how, like the background of Norway, how the economy works, their position in the world? I don't want to put you too, too on the spot. We're both obviously not experts, but I do respect your opinion. And I kind of want to talk into the role of oil and how we need to, we're both, our countries are both net exporters of oil, which is great in the sense that we control the, the supply, meaning we can cut it off but we also control the, the prices and, you know, how can we use this to transition towards a more uh, renewable economy? So why don't you just give a, a, the best you can, like the background of how Norway really works in, in its position yeah. in the world. Yeah. So I definitely think oil, as you mentioned, is very important because Norway was quite a poor country uh, up until we in 1969 found oil for the first time. And um, what the government then did was they, uh, they created a oil company, which is now called Equinor, uh, which the government owns 67% of its stocks, which are the main exporter of oil. 
So they also realized that oil in Norway is not going to be lasting forever, obviously. Um, so they created what is known as the oil fund in Norway, which basically yeah. is a fund where they, they placed a lot of the money they gained from exporting the oil early on. And then they're actively investing this in real estate all over the world, uh, bonds and stocks. Okay. And that's, um, that's, that's what made you guys rich. Fund. Yeah, that, that's grown a lot. So just check now and it's at 1.15 billion US dollars. Cool. Which is actively used because um, the government uses 3% of this fund um, every year or like the, the earnings of this fund every year, which is a huge amount, obviously. Um, to yeah, then, so that's 45 million a year that they're, inv- they're investing yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. No, they use that to, to for instance, um, better the healthcare for okay. better education yeah, yeah. systems, etc. Yeah. Um, but also, what's what's important, I think, um, is to mention how the tax laws in Norway are because we do have very Let's high go. tax laws. Yeah, I personally yeah. think that we have very high tax laws in the U.S. as well, but we'll we'll see what what you have to say about Norwegian taxes. Yeah. So. First and foremost, we we have a progressive scale tax, which is if you earn more, you pay more in percentage of what you earn. Income so tax, usually, right? Yeah, income. So usually we'd pay probably maybe 25, 30%, but if you earn a lot, maybe you pay 55, 60% of your income to tax, yeah. which is, is a lot, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have value added tax. Um, yep which is usually around 25% on goods All transactions, right? Basically. All transactions, yeah. Uh, except for food, where it is at 15%. So okay. definitely, um, if you like go out, uh, have a nice dinner, it's definitely going to be really expensive. So I wouldn't say the typical Norwegian household goes out that often. Usually you stay in and, and cook your own food because it is huh. so expensive to go outside Uh-oh. all right um which definitely tourists um also notice i'm, I'm sure you notice as well when you yeah visit us i mean i think we sure. did we even eat out at all maybe once no, i don't think we did <laughs> we made like yeah. tacos one night i i mean i was i'm still a broke boy so that, that yeah. was how it went we made pasta the taco night was fun though um, yeah, I don't Definitely. think we went out to eat at all. And I was there for like a whole week. So yeah, I guess it, it could be pretty, pretty pricey. It is very pricey. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but at the same time, but, you guys have health, free healthcare, free education and yeah, I'm not sure what else Yeah, anyway, you're saying. Yeah, that's pretty much the two most important things I think. Uh, so how so, much do you yeah. have to pay now that you finished your master's degree? How much are you paying for it out of your own pocket, including loans? Oh, you're thinking about like student loans? Correct. Yeah. So I think a typical uh, student with a five-year degree would pay around 350,000 regions kroners uh, mm-hmm. in yeah. uh, student loans, which is you guys probably like do it in pounds, 40,000 USD. Yeah. Uh, Norwegian to USD. Yeah. thirty-five, $38,000. That's right. Yeah. So that's actually that typically. So this is, that's in, that's interesting because in the I have 
I have about 30,000. So obviously it varies person to person, but federal. So it sounds like the federal loan system is similar, but it's a lot more expensive to go to school in the U S. So like, I think federal loans Mm -hmm. go up to like 30 or 40,000 in the U S I had something similar. I had like 28. So you're saying you have about 38,000 in in debt. So we're actually not too far off. Of course you have a master's degree, but um, it's interesting. It, It sounds like, the federal loan program is, is similar, but the difference is it'll pay for everything in Norway. Whereas in the U S it yeah. sounds like it'll only pay for like one year, or one semester. Yeah, exactly. And I think the reason that the, the number is so high, obviously you don't pay more than like 50 us dollars a semester to go to the university, but the most like cost of like the bigger proportion of that loan is, um food and and living expenses which are really high in norway so uh, i think it's definitely that's why it's so so much higher but you guys Um, are smart and you and hans bought an apartment lived in it for a couple years rented it while you were in australia and then sold it when you left yeah so that was was a smart investment that was cool so uh yeah i think that's like the general tax level um so it sounds pretty pretty outrageously high actually if you have a value-added tax of 25 percent on everything you buy in addition to the fact that if you make over maybe 100 grand you're paying 55 percent in taxes yeah probably closer to to 50 percent yeah what what are your personal opinions on the tax policy in norway do you think it could you could still have what you have what you like and it could come down or do you think it's a reasonable sacrifice to make with a small population and good amenities well, I definitely think that uh, the free healthcare and free education is is very smart and very uh, a very good trade-off from perhaps a bit higher tax levels. Yes. Obviously, as as a, a startup, it would be much easier to to start your own business in the United States, where the tax levels are much lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you don't see those huge firms grow out from Norway because right it isn't economically sustainable to to start a huge firm like for instance amazon or like apple you wouldn't see these grow out of norway um, because it's so expensive and the taxes are so high but what do you think about small businesses so it's does the government support small business in norway like little mom and pop restaurants or little shops and stuff Uh, i'm actually not sure about that so uh, yeah I'm not, not sure about that yet, but we'll see maybe in the future. So right off the bat, you think obviously, well, the U.S. is a is a behemoth when it comes to smart starting businesses. Do you know people who personally have grown up in Norway and moved to the U.S. because they have big dreams of starting a large company? Well, I do have some friends who who started their own uh, company uh, called Gobi in Norway. Cool. Um, but then they realized that in order to grow. Uh, successfully they would have to move somewhere else so they moved to the United States and tried to to, to develop their uh, company a lot more over there and found it easier to to gain um, kind of like a, a mass um, what you call it like followers market share? Uh, yeah. yeah market share a market over yeah. there a market following customers yeah so I definitely think it's easier to to start those kind of big companies or startups outside of Norway. But if you have a, have a market in Norway, that's 
you're sure it's going to be there, then I definitely think you it is possible um, to start a, a good firm in Norway as yeah. well. So you've been to, I know you've been to Japan. I know you've been to Australia. I know you've been to New Zealand. I know you've been to the US. I'm sure you've been to other countries. You've probably been, actually, I've probably been with you and I have been with you in, in the UK as well. I imagine yeah. you've been to France. Would you ever live somewhere outside of Norway, having gone through the entire system and knowing the way things are and how we've, how we've, how we've talked, it's easier to start a business in the US. There sounds like there's more freedom and less just bills to pay to the government, would you ever live outside of Norway? I think I know the answer, but I'd like to hear what you're going to say. Yeah, I think I definitely would would live there for maybe some years, but like permanently, I would probably live in Norway because of all the benefits. You do get free healthcare, you do get free education, uh, kindergartens, you know. Um, yeah. You have a lot of, if you get I mean, kids, look at, you have look a lot behind of, you. Look at what you got. Months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think permanently I would probably stay in Norway, but I would like to live a few years outside of Norway as well, for sure. It's fun. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the, the culture of Norway? So not necessarily monetary stuff, but just what it's like to live there. If you can kind of summarize it as best you can, because you've been there yeah. a while. I do think we're, we're definitely very patriotic. Um, yeah. If you meet in Norway, so. I'm, I'm sure you're going to like... If you if you mention anything about Norway, he's gonna be really excited about it. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like if you see one of those blockbuster movies, like for instance the new James Bond coming up, and that's been shot in Norway. Everyone Woo! is like really really buzzing about that, and yeah, like yeah, finally. Um, so I think we're definitely very patriotic. Um, we also kind of like, as I mentioned, we're not really that good at like. Uh, talking to kind of like strangers outside mm-hmm. and very like keeping for ourselves. Um, if you do bring a friend over, pretty much you're, you're talking with them. You don't really go around to someone else at another table chatting with them, kind of like. Yeah. Um, so it must have been very interesting for yeah. you to go to Australia and live with like a bunch of people from all around the world and just have everybody yeah, talking. I know you loved it. We all <laughs> loved it. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. So I think that helped uh, helped a lot, like um, personally, and to, to grow, um, to learn new about new cultures for sure. Yeah. But uh, other than that, we were very interested in sports in Norway, uh, particularly winter sports. Mm-hmm. Um, Naturally. Cross country skiing, particularly. So they there is a saying that Norwegians are born with skis on their feet. Yeah. Because we're so like. Uh, we like skiing so much and so the typical Norwegian household owns a cabin as well where you go to the mm-hmm. cabin in the mountains and then you go skiing during the weekends and then cool. you come back on Sunday evening for work on Monday so yeah very nice yeah so I'm I'm lucky in the sense that I went to visit Hans and Sandre a, a year or so ago or a year and a half ago and I got to see what it was like to live there and when you when you put it like that where people don't really like talk to strangers it's kind of, it's kind of nice where right? I'm just walking around this, this old city. There's like snow all over the ground. I, every, every five cars is a Tesla driving by yeah. and we're just walking around. It's just, it's got this very chill vibe compared to where, what I'm used to being from New Jersey or living in Colorado where there, there is just more people where Trondheim is, is it the second or third biggest city? Um, yeah, I think it's the third or fourth. Third or like fourth. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about the third or fourth biggest city in the entire country. 
And I mean, you can walk down a street and just not see anybody. Just like it yeah. was, it was very interesting. It's very quiet. What's that? That bridge called uh, by the church? Now we walk over. Oh yeah, um, Bakkelanger. Bakkelang. I mean, it's just really nice scenic sights. It's cool. All right. So before yeah. before we get uh, get into we already talked about traveling before we get into like prison, which I want to talk about because that's, I think that's really, really important as a great model to, to show the rest of the world. You might, I don't, I don't think Hans agrees. Uh, he, I don't think he likes it, but just, just back on oil. Do you, is there, is, what is the stated plan for Norway's uh, transition into renewables? Cause I know you guys, obviously I said, there's a lot of Tesla's around. Yeah. Um, so definitely Norway wants to, to find renewable energies, which are going to sustain for the future, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just read a stat where 98% of our energy now is renewable uh, because See, we do astounding. have these hydro plants and, and stuff. Yeah. Well, so at the used, same time, a lot of, Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, work, I'm working on not interrupting people. Yeah. But um, while well, at the same time, your biggest export is oil, but you're talking about this is, it's very interesting. It's like a country that is, it needs oil for its economy but it's then reinvesting into renewable energy, which is really cool. You know, I think it's a model yeah. for the rest of the world. And in that sense, we're, we're very lucky because we do have a lot of mountains with water running down from them. So we can use the energy of the water uh, running down on like water mills, kind of like, um, yeah. to then generate renewable energy, which is very fortunate because of our geography. Correct. Um, and also in, in terms of renewable energy, um, also read a stat that uh, in 2019, 43% of all new cars sold in Norway were electric, which is, as a you lot. mentioned, you see a Tesla all over the yeah, place. Yeah, that's a lot. Pretty 43%. Much. People don't even realize how much that is. That's like basically all the cars. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to be kind of like role models for how you can develop into a sustainable um, economy and also sustainable future um, and yeah I guess yeah that's so, much... so that's that's great yeah that's pretty much it that's that's great but I mean it's such a small nation with a, with a thick history and it seems like people keep to themselves but at the same time the government has a lot of control over the way things go so power sounds very centralized and you have control a lot of control over the monetary system but how how can how do you think it's scalable the model that you guys follow in Norway? Do you think if we were to like it's maybe not like all of France that has this high tax rate and and has free healthcare, but what if we tried it in like little pockets of countries? Because you know what I mean. What if we took like a group of five million people and like I don't know how many people live in Paris, but like and tried this this model of free healthcare, free education. I, I guess they do have free healthcare in most of Europe. And probably yeah. for education. All right, America is a little an outlier, <laughs> but at least when it comes to to renewable energy, uh, you you know you guys power the whole country. You said like ninety eight percent, but again, it's not. There's not as many people needing energy. Do you think we can follow this model in in any way elsewhere, or do you think it's very like Norwegian based? If that makes sense, I think it definitely depends a lot on the culture of the country. I think that's probably. Yeah, the most important point because okay you need to have kind of like the mindset that oh you don't need those those huge cars to see you running on gas kind of like you're fine with a, a small electric car you know what i mean okay. and I, th- I think kind of like the the culture has has grown to become more like yeah we're, we're definitely 
we love our mountains and we want to to keep our nature um for future generations and yes in the sense we we need to do renewable energy and we need to uh, have a sustainable economy for in for that to to happen so and definitely think that the culture and mindsets would have to be in place in order to try something like this in in other countries what do you you guys are in a tough spot what do you think the future holds when it comes to oil when oil production inevitably will will cease at some point not not maybe not completely but it will come to a much lower level when the rest of the world is on renewables how do you think norway is going to be able to get by on the world stage is there any sort of like plan that's out there to explain how you guys are going to like make money without oil uh, I'm not sure if there's any like plans out there, but I do know that they are investing a lot of money in renewable energy um, constantly. Yeah. Proprietary technology way, yeah. can be sold for a hefty price. Yeah. And also we are exporting a lot of salmon and fish, which yeah. I do think could be potentially our next oil, if you know what I mean. Like okay. the next mass export uh, as well. We are exporting a lot of salmon for sure. Um, and since we're investing so much in renewable energy as well, I think at some point they will discover um, something revolutionizing that we'll be able to, to sell to the rest of the world. If we're going to have a big role like we have in the oil, um, mm-hmm. oil side, probably not. But uh, I'm not sure if we, if we need this, this big expulsion role. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. you guys seem to do a good job of taking care of each other because that's yeah. just the way the system is solidified. Speaking of which, taking care of each other. So I have this, this belief, and it's kind of, I don't know if it's controversial or unpopular. I think um, a people are judged. A lot of people say a people are judged by how they treat their, their, their weakest. I personally think a people can be judged by how they treat their worst. So I personally believe that no matter what the crime someone has done is, I don't think it's justifiable to then do back to them something horrible. So I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of like eye for an eye. Like if someone cuts your arm off, you cut their arm off. Like I'm more of like, let's figure out why this person did that thing. So you, do you want to kind of explain the prison system? So if me and you were to go out and rob a couple stores together in Norway, what would happen to you? Yeah, so... And kind of like the main goal of the prison system in Norway is um, rehabilitation and huh. motivation. What a crazy idea. Is, yeah. Which is very contrary to, to the kind of like the punishment mindset. Oh, yeah. So um, sure. we do spend a lot of money on, on prisoners, a lot of tax money. Um, we do have a lot of modern prisons with very humane like conditions. You usually get a, a ensuite toilet, you get a TV, you get a shower, you get a huge window. It's kind of like, it really doesn't look like a prison. But, yeah. and also the inmates, um, you, you want them to, to rehabilitate. You want them to like have the best possible chance of, of getting back into society when they go out. Correct, yes. So usually inmates, they, yeah, it does. They, they start work at 8.15 every morning in prisons. Usually woodwork, assembly workshops, like car, um, yeah, cool. fixing cars and stuff. Are they getting and, paid or now? Yeah. 
I'm actually not sure. I think they are getting paid for it. Okay. I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm on it. No worries. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as we mentioned, it definitely works. We, we have one of the lowest recidivism rates. Uh, that's what hard work, but <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, it is it, around 20% in Norway. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I in the US. Is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 52% in the US, I found. Uh, 52% of people will go back into prison once they get out. Yeah. And is, I that, think is that what that means? After two years or something. I, I think it actually might be, be higher than that. And I wonder, do you think that says a lot about your system or more about the Norwegian culture? Do you think Americans just, oh, I'm not going to listen to anyone, like screw the system? <laughs> or is it more like the actual rehabilitation program is you truly think it's superior yeah that, that's actually a very good question and i did some research on this and okay what nice. it turns out is that in the 1980s um norway had a recidivism rate of around 70 percent which is very very high it's like kind of like the us yeah then they realized okay we, we need to try something different we need to to have a new um uh a new system. like motivation goal and system yeah okay so they they tried and they reformed the whole prison system um desperate to that. change from revenge which kind of was in the old like viking age you always as you had eye for an eye uh so they changed from that in order to now start rehabilitation and mm-hmm. as you see it, it's worked tremendously well um we went then from 70% or recidivism rate to around 20% now in just like 20, 30 years. That's incredible. And um, you, yeah, if you look up online, there's, there's plenty of articles of international uh, researchers or reporters coming to Norway and not believing their own eyes if they see like the prison system. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worked wonders for us. So that's amazing. Um, and it's, as you say, it, it might have something to do with culture as well. But I think I think this this fact proves that it's it's not just all about culture. It definitely had no. some effects. Beyond a well. doubt. I mean, it's definitely just a case study, if anything. But it's a very powerful one in the sense that it was tested with with real people, and we had we had rates go way down. So it's just something to consider you don't we don't need to take it as like gospel in the sense that the Norwegian prison system is perfect. I mean, prison it, the idea itself is kind of just it's just awful to, to have to like lock up your own people. But at the same time, it's treating them still like you guys have this camaraderie in Norway. You take care of each other. If they get sick, you, you make sure everyone's educated and has a position in, in society. And here are these, these people who are the outliers now who feel like they don't have a position in society. And you're saying, Hey, like you guys, you did something wrong. We're going to, we're going to put you up in here and show you the way we do things in Norway, the way, the way you can be a productive member of society rather than just you're a horrible person, lock you up and keep you away from everyone else. That's just the kind of feeling yeah. I get. I think it's, it's one of my favorite case studies in Norway, one of the most interesting things. Of course, I love to see the Teslas. But um, yeah. <laughs> the prison, the prison system is very interesting to me and I, I would, would want to do more research into that. All right, so I haven't done this yet on the show because it's really testy. But I think it's I think it's about time for me to start talking about the coronavirus a little bit. How how have yeah. you been dealing with that? How has Norway dealt with it compared to other European countries? And what are your general thoughts on the virus and this moving forward? Yeah, I think we we definitely were really early on realizing the potential danger of this virus, and 
Uh, I remember sitting in Trondheim where we were like maybe a week before like lockdown happened. We were just chatting and realizing, oh shit, there's there's something going on now. And then it started like reaching Trondheim and we we're like, oh shit, what do we do now? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. we were writing our uh, in master, uh, writing a master thesis. So we were seeing this, this big like um, uh, computer science room kind of like with loads of computers and everyone was sitting there and no one was really writing anything because everyone just kept refreshing and looking if someone in um, Trondheim had gotten it. Yeah. Oh then God. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, everyone was really, really aware of it. And then happened is within just a few days, uh, the Norwegian government realized that, okay, we, we need to do something very quickly or else this is going to go really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So like they, really. yeah, they, they locked down pretty much. They said that, okay, we're shutting down schools, we're shutting down um, everything that is not like mandatory to, to work, like shopping centers or shot and like grocery stores were pretty much the only thing open. Mm-hmm. So me and my friends, we just went in a car and just drove back um, to our homes instantly because we didn't want to oh, get wow. like locked down in a small uh, apartment. Yeah. And um it definitely worked because we do this have. This is March fifteenth. Yeah, eighteenth, something Mid-March, like that. Mid March, something. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it definitely worked because we do have a very very low uh, death rate, and also very very few people are uh, have the coronavirus. I think it is in our whole population, nine thousand people have tested positive, and only two hundred and fifty five people have died so far in Norway. From coronavirus, which is, of course, there is point zero zero two percent. Point zero zero two percent. Yeah. Are you guys still locked down? It is down? very low. Uh, we're not in lockdown anymore. No. So so things have opened up now. We also um, opened our borders to countries which are not marked as red, as the government call it. Um, yep. So if if you have a certain number of percentage. Um, rice from from uh, a week to week you get marked as red but now borders are open um but most people have stayed in norway this summer and uh, i think most people are very very good with keeping distance as well uh, so it definitely worked well here um i think but do you guys wear masks when you go out in public not really no no, that's not some answer if you if you go flying, but um, flying not otherwise. Yeah. So how long? So the lockdown meant oh, everything was closed basically. But did you have to stay home, or could you go out and go for walks and stuff? You didn't have to stay home, no. But um, but no, everything you were was closed, only allowed though. to. Yeah, and you were only allowed to meet a a few people uh, at the time. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't like you have to stay in your your uh, house kind of like but it was still like everything was shut and people were really really good at staying home and um just keeping their distance and i think that really really helped them coronavirus stay stay so low like them yeah the numbers stay so low in norway when did the lockdown start easing up so this these restrictions started in march I would say March 15th or so. When did you start seeing things begin to open up? Like, can you go out to a, a pub tonight if you wanted yeah. to? Cool. Yeah, so when did definitely. it start like easing up? I think it was 
probably early June or something. Okay. Yeah, similar yeah. to here. So gotcha. yeah, and that's around that gyms open and restaurants open and stuff. Yeah, and and so, sounds yeah, like the highest you got was point zero zero two percent of the population getting um sick do you think that has something to do with the standard of living and the health the healthcare quality in norway as well i know Uh, we're not we're not epidemiologists here i mean we all don't know it's just it's really just speculation at this point but i figured we could talk about it i'm not really sure about that i think the the most important thing was the government realizing so early on that okay we we, we need to do this yeah this is serious like and kind of like the culture in Norway as well, where we take care of each other. We, yeah, like you, we said, don't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, take care of each other as well. We don't. We don't talk. To we stay people. away from everyone else. But yeah, we talk to our friends, and that's about it. So, I think the culture definitely impacted those rates cool. as well, for sure. Well, well, I'm happy to hear that you guys are doing healthy and well. It's always a pleasure to to speak with you. Sandra and I keep up pretty well. I think he actually, you were my my mentor for my cookie bike class, weren't you? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Sandra, Sandra was my mentor for my first, uh, my first real business. If you haven't seen my YouTube channel, the very first video or the second video is cookie bike, my on the spot $1 cookie sales, one of the best projects in entrepreneurship class in Australia. Um, so yeah, we're just kind of wrapping up here. I think it's been fun to kind of get in, get a look into Norway. Sandra is obviously like a lot of the people I met in Australia are some of my best friends for life. We all live around the world together. So we all have different like points of views, experience, cultural upbringings, but, um, yeah, I just want to kind of finish off here by saying what's, what's next for you, man. You know, it sounds like you're just kind of, you just got your wings and you're about to fly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, just starting work now in August, um, Really excited for that, moving to Oslo. Mm-hmm. That's going to be nice. And then uh, we'll see what your future brings. All right. Hopefully I yeah, can we'll- see, uh, see you guys soon as well. So. Oh, no doubt. And then we'll get, you, we'll get you to buy some houses out here in Boulder so you have some nice hedge <laughs> investments in case uh, Norway gets flooded with too much renewable energy from the, the fjords. <laughs> All right. Cool, everyone. All right. So this has been Changing the Climate with Sandra Brecki. And um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you on, man. Um, I'd be happy to hear how everything's going in the future. We can talk about, we, once we both get a little bit more intelligible when it comes to like macroeconomics and stuff, we can talk about things. And plus, when we're actually able to socialize and see more stuff, it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be better. Sounds like things are going pretty well in Norway as they always are in that, in that little paradise that is your 3.5 million people <laughs> fjord-filled island. But uh, yeah, Sandre, thanks for joining me today, man. I really appreciate you coming thanks out. Thanks for having me. Time. Yeah, a pleasure, Thank man. You. All right, 2012, everybody. <laughs>